everybody. Welcome to Hit Rewind. This episode will be discussing the movies of 1992. This will be the first episode of it. We'll be discussing Captain Ron. Uh, no, hold on. I sit off bed accord and look what I just did. John, slap me. Come through this phone through your mutant powers and slap me around. Yeah. Aft. Oh, he's go. all mean. He's all I can't continue. Okay, so it's Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Captain Ron, Death Becomes Her, and Sneakers. And this is the most professional I have sounded in a long time. Welcome to radio, everybody. The time is... 2.52 and the weather outside is just nice. <laughs> All right, so <laughs> the first... I, I, someone told me that uh, I should go apply at the radio station right around the corner from me, and I got super excited until I saw it was a country radio station. Damn. I don't know. Jobs are jobs. Yeah, no. Um, <laughs> uh, so let's start off with Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, I don't get the hate that this movie has received. Mind you, yes, Joss Whedon hates it himself, but now we all hate Joss Whedon, and now we all hate Kirstie Swanson because she's a Looney Tune. But I think the movie is just—it's just a sillier version of the show, and it's—it doesn't. I think it's just a lot of fun. Well, that's the thing. Is, yeah, I do think this is an unfairly dumped-on film. Part of it, okay. Part of it is the whole Joss Whedon thing. The way it kind of sounds is he was kind of a butthole about it the entire time, where they didn't—they didn't make my sacred words into you know being carved them onto stone and do exactly the thing that i wrote how dare someone rewrite my words i'm gonna throw a hissy fit and run away yeah it's it's not as serious it's more almost it's borderline spoofy and campy at times and it's intentionally so and i remember seeing this in theaters mind you i went with my sister uh, because my best friend at the time didn't want to go because he's like, it has P.B. Herman in it, and he was jerking off recently. I was like, what does that have to do with the movie? He's like, I'm not going to go see that. And it's like, are you, are you serious? You're not going to? Okay, whatever. Um, but I thought this was a lot of fun, man. The whole theater was so packed, and we're all laughing our ass off, and I was kind of surprised that it didn't do that well. Yeah, well, that, and, and I get it. It's not the most dynamically made film it's certainly it very very much shows that it's shot on a very low budget and yeah the film is fun like and heck uh one thing you could paul rubens is great and you knowing this about it uh, his character was actually originally written to be a lady yeah and it makes so much sense because i they truly did not change any of that dialogue they just basically cast Paul Rubens in that part and said, there you go. Because <laughs> he is he is definitely in love with Rutger Hauer. Oh, yeah. And then, you know what's funny is I think it's one of the very first films. We did have Ferris Bueller, and I didn't know at the time, but there was a stinger at the end of Masters of the Universe. But this has a stinger at the end. And I, <laughs> that was one of the first times I'd ever seen anything like that. I was like, what? You can just yeah, continue yeah. the movie? His, yeah, you know, spoiler alert for this film, Paul Rubens gets uh, shanked, but I don't think he actually dies. I think he just sits there and spends the rest of uh, his existence just going, ah. <laughs> and he kicks the wall. Fucking genius. He is on another planet with his performance. Actually, everybody's really good in this. I think Luke Perry, um, he, I, you know, because he was coming off a TV show, and you know they just cast him because he was the hot name at the time. But he does a really good job, and I think he deserved better than just being cast off into, uh, you know, Beverly Hills 90210 world. Well, that's the thing is, I mean, okay, you have Rucker Hauer is kind of a name at this time. Yeah, it's dipping uh, a little bit, though. He hasn't had a hit in a while. 
yeah, Donald Sutherland is a name, regardless of how you know how much he had done. People know who he is, right? Yes, Luke, and then you got Luke Perry, but. Was Christy Swanson anyone at this time? And she had just been in Hot Shots in a very small part, and that was it. I mean, yeah. she was also, yeah. to bring up Ferris Bueller again, she was in that. She was in Flowers in the Attic. Maybe that's the yeah, only thing that anybody would know, because that was kind of a cult hit. Yeah, because that's what I'm going like. This film really wasn't running off the strength of a, of a marquee name. No, and so I remember they pushed it hard on MTV, and they had, God, that soundtrack is so good. I think my sister still has that, because uh, I gave it to her. But do you remember? did you remember this soundtrack at all? I did not remember the soundtrack, but in listening to it, I'm going, this has got some good, this has got some good jams. Too. Yeah, like, uh, Party with the Animals by Ozzy is a fucking great yeah. song. But I remember, so they had a special premiere. They, they didn't give it like a whole half hour uh, special like on MTV Wood sometimes, but this was like, hey, we're premiering this video at 7 o'clock. Uh, we'll be here to introduce it. So yeah, they, uh, Luke Perry and Kirstie Swanson showed up, and they and it's the new CNC Music Factory. Remember how they got fired? Because, oh, they're big fakers and stuff like that. And so they got two new people, and that was the only hit with that new group. That was even, a, just at best, a minor hit. Yeah. Well, what's also what's funny about this film is it has, you know, David Arquette, uh, Hilary Swank. Thomas Affleck, Jane has, Thomas, like, two lines. Yeah, Thomas Jane, Ricky Lake, uh, Seth Green is in it very, like, a blink-and-you-miss-it moment. He is? And Ricky yeah. Lake's in this? I don't remember them at all. Yeah, Ricky Lake, I believe she's one of the uh, Slayers that we see in the past, if I remember right. Okay. And then uh, Seth Green, is he's a vampire when, at the at the very end at the gym. When she goes outside, you can see him, like, literally a blink and you miss him. And he gets, he you see him from the back mostly getting hit. <laughs> okay, yeah, I was going to say, this is before his, he had done some stuff in the 80s, just a few things. You know, just like, I think he was in Radio Days as young Woody Allen, and he was, uh... Amazing Stories episode, and then a, a small part in uh, My Stepmother is an Alien, and then just disappeared. So this must have been his, like, hey, I'm going to get back into the game kind of thing. Because I feel like after this is when he started doing a lot of movies. Yeah. Now also, Slash is in a, allegedly, I guess, I, I'm i not 100% sure because I see it, but I don't see it. But the human DJ at the dance is Slash. Really? Because, yeah, we've never really seen his face before. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, and I don't want to mis misgender the person, but it's uh, one of David Arquette's siblings is the vampire. Uh, oh, yeah. I saw, over. Yeah. And then there's uh, Ben Affleck in a small, like, yeah. okay, buddy, not doing, <laughs> not touching that basketball. <laughs> yeah. And listen, this film is a lot of fun. It's, it doesn't, uh, it, it doesn't strive to be more than what it is. It's, goofy can't be fun yeah and it's not a spoof but it is poking fun at some of the cliches of the genre yeah it again it's definitely a 90s vampire film when 90s started kind of having its whole valley girl phase right also you know self-reflection on the whole genre like this i i guarantee this somehow helps lead to scream oh yeah yeah i could definitely see that because like i said somewhat Okay. It was yeah. It definitely wasn't as meta as Scream. Would, no, would be, but, but it, it it was like I said. It it made more than its budget. Uh, I think it made sixteen. It cost like seven or eight. But on video is where it became a phenomenon, and that's how it ended up being a TV show. And you know that that popularity of hey, we can take this and not necessarily make a spoof of it like the way it is with uh, what's the zombie? My boyfriend's back. 
you know, that's borderline spoof, but it's it's having fun with it. It's like the way that we made fun of ninja movies in the eighties. Yeah, it. I, I get. I get why Joss Whedon would want a little more, a little more serious thing because you know his, he made a show based around this. But overall, vampires are pretty campy characters, and unless you're gonna go full in hardcore violent, uh, like near dark. You know, yeah. Like yeah, like near dark or you know some some of these other things that you're gonna either go, either you're gonna take it a little too far more in a gothic uh, romance thing, or you're gonna take it to like a the, the other extreme would be the uh, hardcore violent yeah. animalistic stuff. You're gonna have to have somewhere in this middle if you're gonna have fun and make something that quote unquote people, you know a a four quadrant movie people are gonna watch. You have to, you do kind of have to go and maybe lighten some shit up. And yeah, and somehow Dolly him... Parton's involved with this whole thing because she owns Sand Dollar Pictures or whatever it is. Uh, I didn't know that, but that could also that could also explain you know the tone down and making it you know shit. Stephen Rue just going over the vampires at the end of the thing <laughs> <with> detention. <laughs> I love it when he's completely done. Then he realizes, oh, one more, and detention, detention. Yeah, it's like. I think that's it. Oh wait, no, there's one over there. Yeah, I, I love it when he's describing the concert that he went, <laughs> and she's not paying attention at all. She's just trying to kill that fly. And they're they're having a moment, but it's not connected whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, again, this is a this this is a blast. So. Yeah. Uh, so our next film is uh, Captain Ron. Holy shit! <laughs> Here's the funny part is, <laughs> right after Buffy played, Captain Ron played. And then my friend was like, you want to go see Captain Ron? And I don't know why I didn't go. I don't know. I have no idea why I didn't go. We only had one movie theater, and it was so hard to get anything there. And um, I love this movie. I know yes. it got terrible reviews. I know it didn't do very well. I think it's just fucking hilarious. And, and Kurt Russell is so on fire in this role. I, I came to a realization a few years back that Kurt Russell is my favorite actor. Yeah, I think like, it's real close. I got him, Steve Martin, and Jack Lemmon. I know, wildly different, all three of them, but... Yeah, it's like, I, I genuinely... It, it seems like almost every single, like, of my favorite sort of films, you'll start going, oh, you know, Kurt Russell's in that one. Kurt Russell's in that one. Kurt Russell's in that one. It just kind of seems like he's in all the films that I seem to love. And, yeah, this is... This is one that just I, I generally can't understand why people don't like it because it's a fun romp all the way through. It, yeah. Well, he's and the funny thing is he's taking two of his early adult roles, you know, because not porn, uh, you know, because he was a Disney kid, but used cars and Escape from New York and mushing them together. He's poking fun at Snake Plissken, you know, with the the long hair and the eye patch. But he is absolutely that salesman, con artist, uh, blabbermouth uh, guy from Used Cars. Yeah, because the funny, yeah, the funny part is he's he's a character who definitely is smarter than he comes off as, and it's and it definitely it really shows when you get to that ending bit because throughout this whole film he's this kind of weird, kind of crusty, sun bleached. Uh, Drunken doofus. Yeah, you don't. Yeah, you just kind of wonder. Is like, is he all there mentally? I mean, obviously, he does know his his way around the boat. He knows what he's doing, but he just kind of seems like he's half crazed. But then you get to that little end, the the end bit where he's got all of a sudden he's now a prep 
and he's you know no you know no eye patch or anything, just the sunglasses. And yeah. He's, and it's that he's he's damn it. This new table is making cracky sounds. I hope it's not picking up. <laughs> I, I almost want to say he's a he's one of those angelic type characters who is what you need him to be. It's like the Martin Martin Short's family needed him to be this weird Caribbean uh, hedonist uh, to kind of get them together as a family and all that stuff yeah. whereas the people who got their little speedboat basically need uh, an 80s uh, an 80s uh, yuppie I'm looking at this this oh my god so Tom Everhart wrote Honey I Blew Up the Kid which came out July 17th and when did Captain Ron come out? Oh, I'd have to look that I'm up. I'm looking at right now. September. Okay, so it's far enough apart. Can you imagine that both your movies kind of against each other? Like, Son of a bitch! I didn't know this came out in the fall. This is not a fall movie. This is a summer movie. What the fuck were they thinking? No, I could I could sit there and go. It's a fall. Like, oh. it, it's not. It's not late fall. It's not. It's not a Halloween I guess. movie. It feels like the kind of movie that play in the heart of summer, like the way that. Um, What's the one with John? A summer rental. You know that kind of thing. Those two movies seem like they would go very well together. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. And and Martin Short really plays tightly wound so well, which is, he's usually the doofus causing everybody headaches, which I thought was fun that they switched places. Yeah, apparently that was that was the case, is that they were originally cast the other way around, and they kind of went, that doesn't make sense. You, I, you know, it's like, yeah, sure, you can play straight. You know, it's like, sure, Kurt, you are a straight-laced person at times, but we need you to be the more... Uh, chaotic person because Martin Short is a little more I can't <laughs> imagine him as like a sex swinging drunken doofus manly man yeah no it would not it would not have worked if it was the other way around and I don't know what I know uh, Mary Kay plays from other than this but she's really good in this most of yeah. the time the wives are thrown away nothings and she has a lot to work with well so the so are the kids like uh, the uh, the teenage daughter and especially the like little 10 11 year old you know son yeah you know little little kid actors like that usually are a little too too precociously adultish really right right yeah or, Whoa, mom's or pissed just, <laughs> yeah or just flat out obnoxious and he manages to ride that that line of kind of coming off like a real kid in these situations yeah, and, and it's uh, it's an adventure movie. It's not just uh, you know like the way with summer rental where it's just like a competition or something. Like that their lives are really in trouble. <laughs> he said, "Go." He said, "Gorillas, not gorillas." Yeah, go, gur. Have you limits. you know not summer rental? You know what a better movie to fit with this is? Um, I don't know if you've ever seen it with John Cusack. It's called Hot Pursuit. No, I haven't seen that one. Uh, he is a college kid who misses out on going on vacation to the Caribbean uh, with his girlfriend and her family because uh, he gets in trouble at school. He's like a private school. And they finally let him out, and he just misses it. So he spends the whole movie just chasing them down. But he doesn't realize that they're in danger. And you'll never believe the villains are Ben Stiller and Jerry Stiller. And they're legitimately terrifying, especially Ben. Huh. <laughs> I might have to check that out. Yeah, it's wild. It's in my voodoo. Uh, maybe I shouldn't have told you the end. Darn it. Well, that's 
that's fine. It's funny, but it's got a lot of like real thrills in it. Um, I'm shocked by Paul Anka of all people <laughs> playing the sleazy guy <laughs> wanting to buy. I was like, what? When did Paul Anka become an actor? He must have been friends with somebody in order to get that. That could be, or it's literally someone just going like, who, you know, who could be just a casting director going, who can we get at last minute? Because it could have, for all we know, he. Probably could replace some. Yeah, but I do feel like this was that time period where we, like, Robert Goulet was just the villain in Naked Gun 2, and then we had Wayne Newton as the villain in Ford Fairlane. So maybe people were starting to look at, like, old cheesy Vegas acts and seeing they could sell them as, like, uh, assholes in movies. I could buy that, too. Yeah. All right, so our third film, maybe the best movie of 1992. Holy fucking shit, it got better with time, which is weird when that happens. Uh, usually I just feel that with nostalgia, but Death Becomes Her is so goddamn good. It's so dark and demented and selfish, and the selling point, the special effects, they still hold up. I see it, but I'm not thrown off by it. Because, you know you know how you see a lot of old sci-fi movies go, oh, no, 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 oh, that's terrible. It, it's still good. It still looks better than effects that came out years after it. Yeah. In some some regards. Mummy Returns. (laughs) No, Mummy Returns didn't look good when they came out. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, But I think that... uh, Well, I'm going to fix this fucking table. Can you hear that? It's it's driving me nuts. I I can can hear some... some I'm going to stop touching the table. That's it. Um, I'll play with myself while we're recording. Oops, said it out loud. Uh, Death Becomes Her is a revelation for Bruce Willis. And I really wish that they had catered more to that style of his acting than the diehard version, which would monopolize the rest of his career. Yeah, it is is a shame that he is such a gifted comic actor, and yet he does not, he did not do too many full comic roles. Right. Well, and I think the comedies that he did do, the comedies he did do, he was producing and he had a say-so, and it's too wacky. You know, Hudson Hawk and uh, uh, the whole 10 Yards. What other comedies did he do? Like, where he's funny. Uh, Hold my yards. But I feel like this is the the only one where he had a real director with true power uh, guiding him where he needed to land the jokes just right. And I just, it's phenomenal. This is uh, Zemeckis' first film since, I think, the Back to the Future double feature. And this kind of pushes him in a different direction where he's starting to really test his, well, no, I guess he did with Roger Rabbit, too. The man's never lazy, is what I'm going to say. The only time he ever played it safe, I think, was with Flight. And I think it's just because he needed to come back away from all the animated movies. But Robert Zemeckis is a true visionary, and he's kind of been forgotten because he's had so many flops lately. Well, it's like, this definitely uh, has the is in the same vein as Tales, the Tales from the Crypt TV show that he was doing. Yeah, and I almost wonder time. if this is one of those scripts that he just decided to expand upon. That, that I... I think I read something in like the uh, uh, the IMD trivia about that. It was like there was a I think this was like a sequel to something or it, it was something re- involving Tales from the Crypt as well. Okay, that he had kind of kind of snatched up. Yeah, I think the only movies that really that I know of one hundred percent, I have to look to see if this came out of that. But I do know for a fact that Frighteners came out of Tales from the Crypt, and something else did too, and I can't remember. But this, wow! I mean, there like you're talking about those. Uh, special effects especially the the hole in Goldie Hawn's uh, stomach God, is... the difficulties of that back then it must have been just insane yeah I mean granted there's some stuff and it's it plays into the weird fantasy element of it like the, the stuff with uh, with her uh, why can't I, I 
why can't I think of her name? Meryl Streep's neck. Oh some yeah. Of that, some of that doesn't play as it doesn't look bad, but it also doesn't play as well. Right. I mean, you can see it, but it's not distracting. Yeah, it's like, but it fits in with the fantasy, like her picking her head up and the neck stretching in a comical fashion. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like it looks wonky, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, but this is this is that kind of movie. But that's that's one thing I had noticed in watching it. But the second thing I really I was shocked at how long it actually took to get to that point with Isabella Rossellini and the youth potion. Yeah, I really thought that was so much earlier. Yeah, it's a that goes for a long time that setup and then it almost runs to the end. Yeah, and it really is just a three per, uh, three people in one location for a big chunk of it. Yeah, and part of me, I, I'm not as in love with this movie after watching it this time as I was in the past, mainly because of that. Like, the all that stuff in the beginning just really dragged. I'm going, wow, I, I really, you know, wrote a nostalgia glass and my way through the <laughs> through the first part of this because everything after once you get like you say, once you get to the the use potion stuff and onward that's that is super strong and is amazing and it's just do we need as much build up to that as we get wow this really got bad reviews and it did not do well i mean it did well internationally but this cost 55 million dollars which was nearly the most expensive. I know a couple movies that are more expensive, like T2 and Total Recall and uh, uh, like Die Hard 2. Uh, this only made $58 million in America. I saw this in theaters as well. I didn't know this came out the same day as Buffy, <laughs> so that didn't help either one of them. <laughs> I know I saw them both in theaters. Yeah, and Baby's Kids, but I don't think anybody saw that. I think they made like $6 million, but I like that I movie. saw that on video. Yeah. Uh, I, did, I also didn't know that uh, there was roles for Tracy Allman and Jonathan Silverman, but they were both cut out to make it a lot shorter because it was kind of slowed down uh, in the first uh, half of the movie. Yeah, because I guess at the end of it, I think it's Tracy Ullman's character would have been uh, the person Bruce Willis runs away with Yeah. at the end and marries and ends up living a full, wonderful life with, and then they apparently change the ending. Yeah, it doesn't say anything about this being based on a Tales from the Crypt, but I would not doubt it in any way whatsoever. It has that tone. Yeah, there's... Like I, said, I know I saw, I saw something somewhere about that, but yeah. I... I'm looking at the casting, and I can see Kevin Klein, which is kind of a shame because he, uh, I guess they just didn't want to pay him enough. Uh, Jeff Bridges, I can kind of see. I cannot see Nick Nolte. No way. <laughs> just can't. The guy is not funny. He's just not fucking funny. No, no, no. He, that, it, that would change the dynamic of the film completely, and it would then pretty much just be like a straightforward horror film. Yeah, really. and, and, and the simple fact of the matter is they let Bruce Willis have his normal hairline instead of painting it, or that makes him look more pathetic, and I just I just don't see how the other ones could really pull it off the same way. I know that seems silly because it's just hair, but the way that he's broken and, and he carries himself, they do age him up with you know liver spots, but this movie seems to be a little obsessed with spots. I mean, okay. there's like five scenes where they show their hands changing from... <laughs> I, have to, I have to ask... What the hell is Goldie Hawn's job? What does she do that she landed Bruce Willis's character, this uh, you know this world-renowned cosmetic surgeon? It was what the '70s. She... Women didn't need jobs. I don't know. <laughs> she because no, obviously, uh, you know. Ow. I thought she was a writer. 
Yeah, Meryl, uh, yeah, Meryl Streep is an actress. We know that much. But, yeah, what did Goldie Hawn do? Because we know she writes a book about about stuff, but what is it that... I don't know. I just assumed that she was a writer in the first place. Yeah, because there's some way that she's able to pay for that... Uh, that love potion. Yeah, I've been trying to figure that one out too. She didn't, because she didn't have anything. She was in a mental asylum, and yeah. she, she was, was living comp- in a weird, a shit, shit bag apartment. Yeah, so I don't know about that part. That might have been in a cut scene too, but it's also a mystery because you're not supposed to know until after she gets up in the water with her blown out stomach. Yeah, well, it's all. Yeah, well, you, the just the reveal of her looking because even when she starts the film, she's doesn't look all that. I'm, I apologize because Goldie Hawn will always look much better than a bike train wreck ass. But uh, <laughs> they have they have her kind of looking dumpy in the beginning, even before they give her the fat suit and all that yeah. stuff. And then, yeah, it's like, then you get that reveal and it's just, holy shit. <laughs> the, uh, I, you said Kurt Russell is probably your favorite actor. Goldie Hawn is probably my favorite actress. Okay. And that's talking... It's she's made one movie in the last twenty years, twenty five years. So I'm talking the, during the eighties and nineties, man. She just fucking owned it. I didn't really see much of her seventies stuff, and I feel like I need to. Yeah, I could I could go with that. David Capro just wow, he was on a run. He's been on a long run. Yeah, that, that dude's been killing it for years. Is he? I wonder if he's ever even wrote a bad movie. Let, oh, wait, hold on. First thing, uh, Indiana Jones of the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. <laughs> Way to fuck it up. <laughs> Uh, I won't. I won't fully blame him because that's a lot of George Lucas. Yeah, stuff. but I'm looking here. Look at this run that he has in the '90s. I come in peace. Toy Soldiers. Death becomes her. Jurassic Park. Carlito's Way. The Shadow. Mission Impossible. The Trigger Effect. Snake Eyes. Stir of Echoes. Then it's Panic Room. Spider Man. Secret of <laughs> Secret Window. War of the Worlds. Zathora. Man. Well, there's there's some stinkers in there. Even if yeah. even if I like a couple of those, like I do like Snake Eyes. I do like The Shadow. Those things tanked. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I'm just taking it from a pure writing standpoint. A lot of his stuff was rewritten by other people, like The Mummy. Uh, Mordecai was re... No, no, he that was all on him. Fucking Mordecai. No. <laughs> but uh, a pretty good director, too. I always get him confused with David Toohey. Like, they both broke out at the same time. They seem to have movies coming out at the same exact time, too. All right, so our fourth and final film is An Underdog. I, I don't think anybody really talks about it now, but it is fantastic. And another movie that got better with age. 1992 is a really good year. <laughs> Sneakers. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah, this this was actually one of my absolute favorite films as a kid. Yeah, I watched it when I was a kid. I loved it, but I hadn't seen it probably in 25 years. Yeah, it's like I watched this just you know long before we had thought about even getting to 92 at this point. I just on a whim watched it and wow because it'd been you know yeah like 20 years at least since i'd seen it last and i'm surprised at how much i remembered from that film just off the bat and how much as a like 10 year old kid 11 year old kid i should say at that time that not only did i retain but i really did follow because you know there's some movies where there's they're about shit and you just kind of go with it and yet somehow was like spy films in particular always have these intricate plots and stuff and this yeah. managed to have an intricate plot that even my dumb 11 year old self could follow well also it doesn't have the lulls that a lot of those movies had 
Like, I feel like a lot of espionage movies and, and stuff like that, it's like, oh my god, you remember certain pieces of it, but it just drags ass. And this one doesn't. I think a lot of it is because when there isn't something major going on, some mission that they're on, it's them. This, this absolutely wonderful cast having fun with each other. They had so much fun that <laughs> the director said the only way to make the movie even better was us for us to lose the film and have to do it again. <laughs> well, and one thing is what's amazing about this is how there's in a lot of these films, like, like uh, spy films in particular, but even just go like 80s and 90s films, you sometimes will have those weird tonal shifts between, oh, it's all fun and games, and then all of a sudden, violence. Like yeah. Like twins. Like when we watch Twins. That was weird, the, yeah. Yeah, the violence is also just kind of weirdly out of place in this. Yeah, but this one balances it by slowly increasing. But, well, it's also, it's just kind of how good Robert Redford is, because we know that our heroes are in danger. We know this stuff, and yet, somehow, and I... Uh, Aside, aside from all the good direction all, and writing and all that stuff, you know, but Robert Redford seems to be able to make you feel like our heroes are going to get out of it. Yeah. When he hardly ever does any comedy, he and it's only ever been light. He does it with Legal Eagles. He did it with um, Butch and Sundance and The Sting. But other than that, he never really has a light tone. His stuff's usually pretty serious. Yeah, and... God, this cast is oh, Holy so shit. Cool. How is this movie less expensive than Captain Ron? I'm assuming everybody took pay cuts <laughs> so they could just play together. Yeah, that, that kind of seems like... I, I think everyone looked at it and just went, you know what? You don't, ha you don't have a lot of money? Well, this is a good script. This sounds like fun. I'm in. I will, I will take scale. Yeah. I mean, this cast is insane. The, the funny thing is, I look at the poster, and of course Robert Redford is going to get it number one because he is the main character, but I'm really shocked that Sidney Poitier didn't either take the second build or and Sidney Poitier. You know, he's it's all alphabetical order after that. I wonder if that, that might have been the uh, the sort of uh, agreement that they had because you have you do have some more key names. I mean, you got Dan Aykroyd in this as well, and... You know, it's like you have Ego and uh, oh god, our villain. Why can't I think of our villain? Ben name? Kingsley. All of us, Kingsley. all of these people could have led their own film at this time. Yeah, it's like you have a lot of marquee names. I could see that. Okay, yeah, Robert Redford is the face. He is the quote unquote main character of the film. Okay, if you're gonna do anything else, yeah, I, I would say the fairest thing to do would be <clears throat> in alphabetical order. Then. Because otherwise, it's like, are you gonna, are you really gonna fight over who gets credit? Is this gonna be, uh, was it the Poseidon adventure? Yeah. You know, and then uh, David Strathairn and Mary McDonald hadn't been established yet, but they just, they're given as much to do. I think David Strathairn is absolutely fantastic in it, uh, and this is really early on in his career. Um, Stephen Tobolowsky's name is not on the poster, but his performance, his like ten minutes, is so fucking entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> and I will forever and ever remember. The sound of Eddie Jones' uh, shotgun going off as he's shooting the ceiling. I don't know why I always remember that that hollow sound of the shells coming out of the gun. It's weird. Yeah, this all four all, all four of these films that that we did in this one are all like fun flicks, and I it's hard it'd be hard for me to like even just pick my favorite one of these because they're all. <laughs> Fucking great. Yeah, none of them were really that successful on paper, but I think Sneakers is the only one to get like universal praise. 
Yeah, and it's the old end of the of these ones. This is the one that kind of has fallen away, and everyone, no one would ever really talk about, and that's really the biggest shame. Yeah, I think it's funny. This is Donald Logue's first movie. Hmm. And then, then right after this, I think is when he started doing that greasy cab driver on MTV. Do you remember that, the Eddie or whatever? He's like, yeah, you're talking, you're talking to whatever behind you, talking about the stuff that was happening on MTV. Oh yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Took, I was sitting there trying to remember. I'm like, oh wait, yes, I do remember that. Yeah, and then uh, Blade kind of made him finally like a, a known quantity. But I just, I was shocked to see him so far ahead of Blade. I was like, oh wow, that's like another six years from now. I think that's it. All I'll have to say. I think yeah. the the this is, it has there is the MacGuffin, the whole the the whole techno thing that they're trying to steal that can break codes. Um, <laughs> I, I got to say, visually, it looks like the stupid. It look it looks like shit. It looks like something that I would make in my garage and look like spaghetti with a taco in the middle. <laughs> it but just looks like a piece. Of, but you know what? That's probably what one of those things. Yeah, it, it probably was. But you don't get lost in the technology, and that's a problem with a lot of the techno thrillers of the nineties. You didn't know what the fuck was going on. They just assumed you would know, and that's where they lose you. Well, it's it, not so much that they would that they would assume that you'd know. is that they didn't care. Oh, so yeah, there was the opposite, right? There was the opposite where they just threw jumbo at you. Like, they don't know what the fuck this means. We're just going to use uh, we're just gonna use big words, and uh, it'll hide that we don't even know how computers work. Yeah, giant mnemonic. <laughs> Hackers. <laughs> <laughs> the net. A virtuosity. What's the one? Is it virtuosity? Or like three years from now, we can create the perfect... No, you can't. Demolition Man. In 1996, we're going to be able to freeze people. No. No, you can't. You haven't even... It's 1993. No one's created this yet. <laughs> what are you talking about? Oh, boy. Oh. Sci-fi movies in the 90s. Um, so that is it for this episode. Where can we check you out, John? I am on Twitter under musician, M-Y-U-Z-I-S-H-I-O-N. Come, come by, say hi. Tell me how wrong I am about these movies. And how, <laughs> and how, and how Buffy the Vampire Slayer is the worst crime ever committed to film or whatever. Buffy the Vampire Slayer is the beginning of the whole woke era. <laughs> I don't know why. Who did I sound like? I sound like Droopy Dog, I guess. <laughs> they just wanted to complain about your movie choices. No girls allowed whatsoever. Uh, <laughs> uh, so check us me out. Check somebody out. Check, go over there and check people out. Yeah, it's a new beach. Uh, I don't know where I was going there. Uh, Twitter and Facebook under Hit Rewind and all your podcast hopes. Hosts? Is there ever been an episode where I got out of this without tripping over myself and getting weird? No. I don't think I, so. I really don't think it's kind of my nature. Uh, I, I could get hired by a radio station. They'd fire me the first day. <laughs> uh, <laughs> subscribe, share, and comment. And that is it for tonight. <laughs> and uh, before John can come through the phone and punch me again, I better go. <laughs> Later, guys. All right, bye.